0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, welcome to our Christmas service. I'm really grateful that we could be together. Like uh, Audrey said, it's been a while since um, you know we could have these major holidays together, and this year we've been able to have Thanksgiving and Christmas as a church family in person. That's been, meant a great deal to me. I hope it's meant a great deal to you. If you're new to our church, if you're just visiting, my name is Dave. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Harvest. And I'm going to share with you a message this morning called King of Kings. You know, Christmas is a time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And like every story of every birth ever, it begins with a young woman discovering that she's pregnant. Only this story is unlike every other birth story in a number of important ways. For starters, she finds this out because an angel visits her in person and tells her. And then it's even more miraculous because she's betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph, but they've never been together intimately, and so she's still a virgin, and yet he says, though you remain a virgin, you're going to be with child. And then it's even more amazing because he says, this is not just going to be your son, but this baby you're going to have is going to be the son of God. So this is an amazing birth announcement. But even before this outrageous message was delivered by the angel, the fact that he appeared to this girl in this town, in this region, in itself, is absolutely shocking. In verse 26 of the passage Tom just read for us, It says that God sent Gabriel to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I think to call Nazareth ancient Nazareth, a city, is really a stretch. Most scholars agree that it was really closer to a small village, or actually a large village, but the population was very likely under 500 people. That's smaller than the graduating class of my high school, the entire town. In fact, if you combined ICC and Harvest, we would be bigger than the ancient town of Nazareth. So, if you think about the size of this, this is a tiny little town in a backwater region called Galilee. And in every country, uh, there is a region that everyone else in the country thinks of as that place that is unsophisticated, unimportant, that it's like a flyover area. Nobody even notices it or values it. Galilee was that part of Israel. Nobody respected anything that came out of Galilee. And so if you think about the fact that as the angel announces the birth of the Son of God, he comes to this girl who was from this really tiny little backward town in a backwater region. And on top of all that, even in this meaningless town, Mary is no one special. She doesn't come from a wealthy or prominent family. So when the angel calls her favored one, You would think if some incredible-looking supernatural being approached you and paid you a really high compliment, that would bless you, would touch your heart. But it says that Mary's reaction was that she was greatly distressed and confused. That word, greatly troubled, it's translated a number of different ways depending on which English Bible you read. But they all express this feeling that Mary couldn't make sense of this and it actually created distress and fear and anxiety for her to hear it. Now that makes sense because some compliments, they are too outsized and you're like, what do you want from me? I don't know what, if some girl came up to me and said, you are the most handsome man I have ever seen, I'd be like, what do you want from me? Because that is absolutely, there's only one person in the world who says it's true and she's kind of fitting. So even though it's a great compliment, when it's too big, you start to get a little suspicious because it's bigger than what is true of me. I know this. You know, I remember meeting a really well-known Christian author at a, a gathering. And I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I'd meet this person whose books I admired and devoured. And as I was talking to him, he goes, so Dave, where do you serve? And I said, oh, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. I, I serve a church called Harvest Community Church. And he says to me with a straight face, oh, I know your church very well. I'm like, say what? You've never heard of my church. And after like two minutes of conversation, I realized he thought I I was coming from Harvest Bible Chapel. See, at at first, I'd be like, you heard of Harvest? Right on! We've arrived, arrived, but it's too much. It doesn't make any sense. So I didn't believe it right away, and I, I was right not to believe it. The angel looks at this little nobody girl from a little nobody village in a nobody part of the world, And he says to her, you're the one God is highly favored. And I'm coming to bear incredible news that you, of all people, have the privilege of bearing the Son of God. This was an incredible birth announcement. But I want to show you a video from July 22, 2013. And I want you to just check out this video and see what you think about it. Could you guys run that video? Okay, That's crazy. But when you think about the birth of a future king, that's what you expect to see, isn't it? And all that fuss was because of the birth of this little guy. That's a really cute kid. I don't care what you say. That's a really cute kid. That's Prince George. He's a son of Prince William and Kate Middleton, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, and he's third in line for the crown of England, a future king Of his empire. That's the way you expect the birth of a future king to be announced. But instead of coming from Jerusalem even, he comes from a nowhere place to a nobody girl. In fact, later on when Jesus is an adult, one of his followers named Philip is so excited to have met him and confirmed that he's the long-awaited Messiah. So he finds his friend Philip or Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. I've met him. You've got to see him. His name is Jesus and he comes from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? So Nathaniel isn't shocked that his friend Philip has met the long-awaited Messiah. He's shocked that when he finally came, he came from Nazareth. That's how unlikely. I wonder if we fully appreciate what an unlikely Savior Jesus really is. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. He says, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. I think that's the way you should read in every translation, because that's exactly the heart of Nathanael. You imagine if Jesus were to come today... What part of the country? What neighborhood? What educational or economic level would you expect him to come? If somebody with a high school education said, "Hey, I am the savior, the king of the world. I'm from um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, by the way. No, no offense to Kenosha, but it's not New York, it's not LA, it's not even Chicago. If he came from a town no one had heard of, would you take him seriously?" If he wasn't from the elite of our society, would you believe his claim to be who he is? In a 2006 Pew Research survey found that when they surveyed people 18 to 25, 51% of them said that being famous is one of their top two driving life goals. That's insane to me. Not even to accomplish something or even to be wealthy, but just to be well-respected, well-known, admired, recognized, even envied. This is the driving desire of so many people in our world today, and it's not just young people. I see even Christian leaders yearning to be recognized. I see gatherings where people are lined up to get a pastor's autograph, That doesn't even compute in my brain how that happens. Yet most of us, we're so driven to be successful, to be well-known, to be well-regarded, to be on the A-list, the five-star. You know what I'm talking about. We don't want to pull up and have nobody recognize us, nobody acknowledge who we are. We'd rather like it when everyone at the establishment knows us by name, says, Would you like your usual table, Mr. Lee? Well, yes, I would, because that's just how I roll. We love that treatment. We love star status. We love being elite. And when we do that, I wonder if we realize how unlike our Savior we are being. Let that sink in for a minute, because that's the driving desire of so many hearts today. And yet it is so opposite of the heart and spirit of the one who saved us. The first thing to know about this king is just how humbly he came to us. He came this way because it was important to God that he would be approachable. And that word is so important because, you know, I'm sure I have come across this way to people. Maybe you have too. But we've also met people who are somewhat well-known, at least in that little pond where we happen to be swimming. And you just get the feeling that even if nobody's talking to them, you don't want to walk up to them because they don't seem approachable. They seem like you have to be a certain status to warrant their time and attention. They send off and project this image of unapproachability. Look at my clothing, look at my appearance, look at my demeanor, look at all the things that surround me, and you'll know that unless you qualify, please don't approach Jesus was nothing like that. He wasn't famous for his appearance or his status or his wealth, but everybody knew him because of his character and his heart, his great love and mercy and the presence and the authority with which he spoke about God and his mercy and love for humanity. So I want to invite you to just pause and reflect but the fact that Jesus could have entered our world in any way, and he entered in this particular way. I've gone on so many short-term mission trips, and though I go loving and fellowshipping with genuinely caring for the people I'm serving, in the back of my mind there's this idea that I don't mind being in your world for like a week. But if I was stuck here forever, if your life became my life, I'm not so sure I'd still be so happy right now. I'm not, I, I can sit with you in your mud hut and drink your muddy-looking tea and smile because for this moment, I know I'm trying so hard to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but that's because I come from another world and I've stepped into your world. And even in that moment, I'm aware of just what a step I've taken just to be there. I, I'm not boasting about that. I'm just saying, do you understand? This is just at the very start... Being there is a huge, huge step. It wasn't just that Jesus came. The fact that he was here at all, that he took on our shape, our form, entered this broken, gross world, took on all the limitations that we have to live with every day. The fact that he did that in and of itself is a massive step down in his reality. I wonder if we fully appreciate just how much he stretched just to be with us. And he didn't just visit for a week and then take off. He didn't check in with us and then go back to a hotel in the evening. He truly dwelt among us. He lived that life of lack and limitation, which we all live. That speaks to me deeply about the way that we ought to do ministry as the people of Harvest it speaks to me about the kind of person that I want us to aspire to be. Someone more like Jesus and less like so many of the leaders who stand for Jesus today. I want to invite our Christmas choir. We, you know, we have a, a, a wonderful Christmas choir that is formed. And I want to invite them to share with us a couple songs that will invite us to reflect on the humility and the quiet in which the Son of God, entered the human world. It's such an important thing to remember that while Jesus came to us as a little harmless, innocent baby laid in a feeding trough for animals in a stable, he didn't stay that way. It's a shame to show this picture um, (laughs) right after that reflective song, but if you're familiar with this movie, Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell plays a character named Ricky Bobby, who strongly prefers eight-pound, six-ounce newborn Christmas baby Jesus. That's hilarious in one sense, but it's not so unlike a lot of us, is it? Because he prefers the version of Jesus that is a cute baby wrapped in cloths in a manger. Newborn baby Jesus, he keeps praying to baby Jesus because baby Jesus is cuddly, he's soft, he's harmless, he asks, expects nothing from us. He's adorable. And though we may not be quite like Ricky Bobby, I think somewhere in all of our hearts, there is this strong desire not to yield to a king. To prefer a version of God that I can actually conquer that I can manage, control, that I can come to this God on my terms to the extent that I want, and he cannot ask anything of me which I am not willing of my own self to give. When Gabriel announces the coming birth of Jesus, he says to Mary that her boy would be given the throne of his father David and that of his kingdom There will be no end. This baby she was going to have was not just going to be a special baby, a good boy. He was going to be the king of the world. And it's important that if you want to claim a relationship with this Jesus, he can't just be a king or the king, not someone we admire and acknowledge, yeah, you are the man. He has to be our king. In fact, it's really important to nail this down. Today, maybe more than ever, we cannot have a proper biblical Christian relationship with Jesus the Savior unless it also includes his being king over our hearts and over our lives. When Gabriel told Mary that she was going to be pregnant, she said the most obvious thing, how is this going to happen? Because... I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the Most High God would overshadow her so that she would become pregnant through the direct intervention and touch of God. Now, that's such an important part of our story as Christians. We get blessed hearing that. I want you to think about what a huge problem this created for this young girl. Just because they were ancient people doesn't mean they were unsophisticated, stupid people. For as long as there have been people and pregnancies and babies born, everyone could put two and two together. And here's this girl who is promised to a man named Joseph, not yet married. And all of a sudden she's starting to show and she's like, Oh, Mary, I didn't know you and, Ma- and Joseph had already got married. Oh, no, we're not. But this is God's baby. Just pause for a moment and think about the position that the angel put her in. And how was her fiancé supposed to accept this? Joseph, you're going to be a little surprised to discover that my belly's going to grow. It's not yours, but it's not someone else's. It's the Lord's baby. Okay, Mary. And, And Joseph, being a good man, says, why don't we just quietly get divorced? I don't want to shame you. I don't want to embarrass you, but this is messed up. I can't deal with this. I'm out. Isn't that what any sane man would have done? Not on top of that, what woman wants to find out she's pregnant from someone else? Not on her timing, not on her terms. How would you like someone to go, hey, you're pregnant, because I said so. And think about all the ways this disrupts Mary's plan for her life, her timetable, her picture of what her future is going to look like. Think of the scandalous, whispered rumors she'd have to deal with everywhere she went. It's a small town. Do you remember what it was like to be in high school and in your your graduating class if one scandalous thing happened? How fast would everyone know about it? And for me, that was in the days before even email existed, and the rumor mill was fast. Can you imagine today how instantaneously all of your screw-ups would be immemorialized forever in video, spread instantly to everyone else in town? This announcement, which blesses us, screwed up Mary's whole life. It completely inconvenienced and disrupted her plans. And that's the thing about kings. Kings, if they're really doing their job, introduce a great deal of disruption to our lives because being a king means their plans are more important than our plans. I don't say that in a religious and shallow sense. This is one of the hardest things about being a Christian, is to turn over the control of our lives. I found that even at this point in my life, I became a Christ follower at the age of 17. And even now at the age of 54, I find this remains one of the greatest challenges of following Jesus, is to actually follow Jesus and not ask him to follow me. There is a very big difference between following Jesus and living your best life and asking him to come with you where you go. With all of the disruption that the angel's announcement introduces into Mary's life, there are so many ways she could have reacted. The most logical and predictable one would have been, there's no way that's going to pay. I'm I'm out. I'm not going to listen to you finish this message. If I'd been Mary, I would have run away. I wouldn't have welcomed this pronouncement over my life because, at the end of the day, it's not your life, it's my life. And yet, what I see in Mary's response is this beautiful example for us to follow. She said, Behold, behold is really her way of saying, What are you going to do? I mean, at the end of the day, I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And that's when this encounter officially can be over. It wasn't just a drive-by shooting, a pronouncement, drop the mic, leave. He wasn't done until Mary was willing to acknowledge what God had just said to her. You know, we reach a part, a point in our lives, and I, I think many of us are there now, I, I'm there right now, where I realized the other day, I don't have to ever do a single thing I don't want to do. I've achieved a certain level of independence in my life, so that if I don't want to go somewhere, I don't have to go somewhere. If I don't want to eat something, do something, respond to an invitation. It used to be when I was younger, just in order to survive, I had to follow everybody. I'm like, can I just have some money, please? Can I have some permission? Can I have some access? So I would yield to all kinds of things in order to get somewhere. I don't need to do that anymore. Do you? Now, some of you are younger. You still need to do that. Just remember who paid the bills in your house, okay? But I don't have to do that anymore. And when I was a little older, it wasn't anymore the desperation and need that drove me, but I was really controlled by the expectations, the disappointments, the wishes of other people. I wanted so badly to be liked, accepted, included, to be looked highly upon. And so I did all the things that good people are supposed to do. I was there for people when I didn't want to be there. But now, in my 50s, I've come to this point where I realized if I wanted to be this guy, I could live a life 100% on my terms, to the exclusion of, obviously, things like disease and accidents, which I can't control. I can control so much in my life, can't you? Aren't you here today because you chose to be here? But where's the last place you went? totally against your will. For most of us, we have achieved a place in our lives where we can absolutely control what our lives look like. What I do, where I go, how I spend, how I eat, how I do everything. And yet there is this inconvenient truth that in this life, if we will have a relationship With Jesus Christ, this one big pillar I can't get around is he is not just an innocent baby who grew up to die for my sins, but he rose from that death, and he has the rightful place to stand as the king over my existence. There cannot be a kingdom without a king. And we cannot be in that kingdom without recognizing that king. And I don't share this lightly. I've wrestled all week with this in my own life. I'll tell you, the hardest part about preaching is not coming up with something to say. Okay, If you've been preaching from one book for 26 years, it's not that hard to come up with a speech. The hardest part about preaching is finding the ability to stand in front of other people and say these words which are crushing you. And unless you've really wrestled with it, this is a hard thing to do standing in front of other people, proclaiming God's truth to them. This has been hard for me this week. I hope it will be hard for you. Because the beautiful message of Christmas is that a Savior was born, and this is truly good news. But the other part of it, and this is also good news, is that we are not meant to determine every step of our own lives on our own terms. But that we have been bought at a price. We belong to a king and to a kingdom. And where he goes, what he wins, all his victories, all his benefits are ours when he is our king. Isaiah prophesying about Jesus said, His kingdom will be an unending kingdom of justice and righteousness. And he doesn't accomplish that through a magic wave of a wand. He does that through us. This kingdom of God, this thing called Christendom, will only be a movement of justice and righteousness and love and mercy insofar as each of us acknowledges that that baby born on Christmas grew up to be a king. And he is going to be your king and my king and that's not a symbolic thing it's not a statement of admiration it is a statement of surrender of obedience of followership and this is i truly believe one of the great battles and struggles of the life of following jesus you may recall around the time jesus was born that there was a king named herod on the throne of israel and hearing rumors that a king of the Jews was being born, he, being the king of the Jews at the time, was rightfully alarmed. And when foreign dignitaries arrived looking for directions to this place, this place where this baby was born, Herod was like, "Hey, when you see him, make sure that he comes and visits me. I'd like to worship him too." Of course, Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to do away with him because like Herod and like all of us, nobody wants anyone to be the boss of me. Herod was threatened by the idea of another king, but isn't there a little Herod inside of each of us? A Herod that worries that somebody else wants to lay claim to our lives. Herod did something grotesque. He had his soldiers go out and round up every baby boy two years and younger just to make sure he covered all the the male births in his region that could possibly be the prophesied baby. And without any mercy, he had those little baby boys killed. This is the horrific extent to which a man went at the time of Jesus' birth to make sure no one would ever threaten his place on the throne of his life. There is a little Herod in each of us. And one of the messages we must embrace at Christmas is that we are happiest and most well when we are embraced in his rule under his kingship. The life we decide to build for ourselves may seem like a freedom, but with that comes a rejection of everything this king promises. You cannot have it both ways and claim the benefits of the king and reject his rightful place in our lives. And so this is something that I want us to be very sober-minded about this Christmas. Because sometimes Christmas, at least the way the world celebrates it, is mindless joy, distracted happiness. But that is not the spirit of true Christmas. It is that a Savior was born, and this Savior, having saved us, intends to rule over us so that under his rule, this world actually becomes a place that we'd like to live, a place filled with joy and justice, kindness and mercy. And looking around our world today, I think that's something everybody craves more of, and doesn't understand how to get, Jesus has that answer. So I want to invite you to just pause with me. Think about where your heart is this Christmas, because Christmas is one of those two times of the year when a lot of people venture out to church. And even if you come every Sunday, it's one of the two times of the year, this and Easter, where we especially engage and pay attention. So, I want to challenge you if you're here this morning. What will Christmas mean for you this year? What business does God want to do with you that He's been wanting to do for a long time? But this year at Christmas time, I really believe the heart of God is yearning to do something in your life. Are you like me? Have you come to a place in your life where you realize? That you have all control over everything. You can live your whole life on your terms. Would you accept the invitation of Jesus to step off the throne and acknowledge who he is? To see in him the King of Kings. The first crown he wore was a crown of thorns first time he came he came as a servant humble and meek But the second time he comes it won't be quite the same he will come in glory and power might and victory bible foretells that he will come riding on a white horse with an army trailing behind and this time he will come not to extend an invitation but to close the door once and for all to seal his kingdom Blessed and joyful are those who while the door remains open can see the King of Kings for who He is. I believe with all my heart that God is yearning for and fighting for some of our hearts right now. And that little Herod in you does not want to step off the throne. But life and joy eternal are to be found when he sits on the throne. So that's all I want to say. I want to leave you with that truth. Soak in it for a moment. Be with God right now where you are spiritually. And would you dare to just open your heart up and say, God, are you trying to get through to me in some way? Can I just for a moment put down my guard and invite you to say what you need to say to me? Touch me in some way because I'm tired of sitting in church tuning out during the service if I'm going to do this I'd like to actually be here alive in my soul Could we just take a moment and open our hearts to God thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church if you would like more information or have any questions or comments check out our website at harvest-community.org thanks for listening